Hey everyone, Matt Frazier here with a good friend of mine, uh, but someone who is big enough online that I still get a little bit nervous when I interview him. Uh, his name's Leo Babalta. He's got a brand new book. Uh, he's from, of course, the big site Zen Habits, and uh, I'm really excited for this. So, Leo, thanks for for joining me. Yeah, thanks for for having me. And I just want to let you know, my hands do get a little sweaty when I talk to you too. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> All right. I don't quite believe that, but I'll uh, I'll pretend like I do. Oh, I feel a little sweaty. All right. Good enough. <laughs> Um, it could be my workout though. I just did a, a squat workout. Could be, or it could be the fact that your Kickstarter is ready to launch in in two in what two hours from now, right? Yeah, from when we we're recording this, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So I want to talk about the new book because I'm really excited. I'm a fan of all your stuff, uh, and I've heard you say that this book is is the best one yet, and and you're the thing you're most proud of. So that that to me is uh, intriguing. So I want to dive into that, and then then we'll just go into some other stuff. But. Uh, First of all, why why is it your best? I mean, what's what's the big difference yeah. between this and, and everything else you've done? Because you've done a lot of ebooks and even a published book before. So I, when I set out to write this book, I made a big mistake, which was that I told myself I'm going to write my best book ever, <laughs> and uh, it's going to be a culmination of all the things I've ever written before, everything I've learned through all my habit changes, and really just pour and uh, concentrate like my best things into one volume, one slender, like intentionally slender volume. Um, and it turns out that's a really big mistake because then I set the bar like impossibly high and I just can't possibly, you know, I mean, in my mind, it's like, this has got to be perfect. And of course that causes me to procrastinate, which is ironic because the book is a lot about procrastination. So yeah. I mean, and in the uh, video of it, you say that you're going to change the world or the book's going to change the world, which is awesome, uh, that you could, could be that daring, but I'm sure that that doesn't help with the uh, procrastination stuff. <laughs> Does not. But anyway, um, have I achieved it? Well, I've never, I haven't achieved perfection and I never have yet. Um, but I do think this is the best one I've written. And the reason is that I, I uh, have written books on habits before and simplifying your life, but I always came up against this wall when I tried to help people change their lives in different ways. And the wall was people wouldn't follow the advice. And I'm like, well, this is really good advice. Why don't you follow it? I, I, so I tried to figure that out. And I would talk to people like, why, why aren't you doing the program? All these different things. And um, it turns out that the reason people don't follow it is because they don't really believe they're going to. And there's some kind of voice in the back of their head that's telling them you can't do this. Or maybe you just take a break today and not do it. And then take a break tomorrow. And they put it off. And there's all these things going on that we don't notice that, that are going on. And so I decided that's what I need to tackle. Um, because if I can tackle that resistance in our minds um, that we face from not only changing habits, but you know, as you know, like when you're in the middle of a really tough ultra marathon or uh, trying to change your diet or you're trying to write something and you're, you're procrastinating, that resistance is there. And so I really wanted to overcome that. Um, and that's really what this book is about. But um, anyway, we can we can talk more about how I do that. But that, that's really the key to the book, and I think it's um, I think it's really really useful stuff. So I'm hoping that it will be as great as I as I imagine it to be. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm, I imagine it will be too. Uh, yeah. So I mean that that thing about having that sense of faith in yourself that you can do it. That uh, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, I, I remember the power of habit by Charles Duhigg that he wrote all like the, you know, the habit loop stuff that I think is, is pretty commonly known nowadays. But then there was a lengthy section after that about how important it was to really believe that you could change. And 
for a lot of people, there's a lot of evidence stacked in the opposite direction, you know, just from failed right. attempts before. So there's, you know, it's, it's quite natural, I think, to, to think that change is impossible or that you're at a point in your life where you're not able to make changes anymore because of circumstances or you're too old or you're too whatever. Um, and I've certainly been there before too, but I've, I've managed to get out of that for the most part. And I still go back there for sure at times. Yeah. Um, it's funny, um, and just to, to add to that, what you just said, that you talked about all the evidence that's stacked up. And what I see it is like this, there's this relationship that we have with ourselves. And in a relationship, if someone keeps walking out after they say they're going to stay with you, um, and they keep hurting you when they say they're not going to, they keep not showing up, um, you stop trusting them. And so, like, you know, there's, there's always this time when we're going to start a new habit or make new change in our life, and we feel excited about it. But there's also another part of us that says, I don't really believe you're going to do it because you, you know, I, I don't trust you anymore. You've, you've uh, walked out on me too many times. Even if you say you're going to now, you have the best of intentions, you don't have a good track record. And so a lot of what, what the way to overcome that is the same thing in a relationship. Even if the person says, okay, now I'm going to do better. You don't believe them and you don't believe them until they start to show up every day and not hurt you and not reject you, not walk away. Um, and so they have to start building a new track, track record. Mm -hmm. And so you have to do the same thing for yourself. If you want to build that trust in yourself, which is so vital, uh, you have to start building a new track record. Gotcha. Okay. So in the book, then you're giving advice like that. I mean, for how it's not just you saying you can do it. You can do it. Believe in yourself. I mean, it's, it's actual like, right? Like steps that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Practical advice. In fact, so I started the book. I wrote the book in the beginning, like 50,000 words that I've now scrapped because it was too <laughs> like grandiose and philosophical. And I decided that's not going to be useful to people. What they really needed was a practical step-by-step -step guide. And so the first, you know, two thirds of this book now are walking you through the, the uh, making one small change during the course of reading the book. And I challenge you to do that um, in the beginning so that you every day you're going to learn something new about habits and about that resistance and about something that's, that's um, going to help you stick to that change for longer. Uh, but yeah, so it's a, it's a really practical guide. And then we we, at the end of the book, we start getting into what we learned that can be applied to all kinds of things from going through major life changes to procrastination, to uh, frustration that we have with other people, um, things like that. So it, it becomes a bigger book towards the end, but in the beginning, it's very practical. Good, great. So for, any, for anyone who's wondering, it, it's called Zen Habits, right? Yeah, uh, which was another mistake because I'm like, <laughs> if it's called Zen Habits, it has to have everything in it. Right, right. It's about Zen Habits. And so, um, but yeah, it's called Zen Habits and the subtitle is Mastering the Art of Change. Excellent. And it's all at zenhabitsbook.com. And I know you're doing uh, a, a kind of a non-traditional approach to launching this thing. You're self-publishing it and right. crowdfunding, right? Right. And it's uh, self-published, but not just an ebook or a Kindle book. It's going to be a real print book mm -hmm. with some digital versions as well. And it's all only going to be available on Kickstarter, at least for this limited edition, like first print. Um, and I'm not selling on Amazon or on my site. I have to go through Kickstarter and it's only for 30 days. Uh, this campaign is going on. Cool. And so that, I've seen Seth Godin do that. And I don't have, have other authors done that too? Yeah. Yeah. Have I think so. Maybe becoming a common thing. I saw that Seth did it's, it long before his book was out, but is your book actually going to be out when the Kickstarter starts? No, like available? That's the, uh, people are going to fund the printing of it okay. uh, Which and the sense. shipping of it. But I might, I might do a second version later um, next year. Um, if, if people fund this Kickstarter enough, if they give me more than I need to print this first version, I'll take that and print a second version later, uh, but it won't be 
It won't be quite as special, I think. Right, sure. <laughs> First sure. version is always the best. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, and we should mention that, I mean, you're not just going the self-publishing route because you can't get a publisher. I mean, you've, you've right. done the published book thing before with a publisher. And yeah. I've heard you say that that wasn't the best experience for you. And, and I think this time that you thought it would kind of, you know, dilute the message or, or you know, change it in some way that, that wasn't exactly what you wanted. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely could have gone to the same publisher or maybe another one and, um, and gone the traditional route. But I, what I found... I found so many different things. This is not against that publisher, mm-hmm. uh, but just against publishers in general that they, first of all, they do very little now. Um, they used to do more for people, but now what they do is they get you into bookstores. That's their main job. Um, and bookstores mean little less and less nowadays when people buy on Amazon and, and in other places, their favorite blogs. Um, so that has really become almost meaningless to me. Um, what they used to do a long time ago was help you market the book, and now they're they've slashed their marketing. Budget. So as you right. know, Matt, you you went on a tour across the country in your car. Yeah, they didn't pay for much of that so one. That was an amazing uh, journey, but I mean, you had to do all the work yourself. And so if you're gonna do all the work yourself, why not take all the profit? Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm doing, and, and in fact, I, I'm cutting out the middleman. My readers are going to get keep most of the profit. I'll take a little bit of it if, if there's any left over. Um, but really, I think this is going to allow me to do way more things, give me more control over the book, um, and do things in a non-traditional way, um, add webinars and all kinds of other um, add-ons that I'm putting on to this book because I'm, you know, it's my book now. Right. And I care more about it because it's really I own the process. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I bet it's a, a a big huge process to do all that, but I I think it's cool that you get to have so much control in every step, you know, you're you're deciding how it's designed and everything else. So, uh that's uh, awesome. And and I saw I was poking around on the site. I saw that you actually started a publishing company for this. Are you you're planning yeah. to do other books? Yeah, actually I, th- I think I put that publisher on one of my ebooks, but uh Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I I want my the idea was just to name a publishing company after my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote a column on, in the newspaper on Guam for like 40 plus years, 45 years, called Pipe Dreams. Oh, so okay. the book publisher is called Pipe Dreams Publishing. This is the first real book. And I thought about the idea of maybe helping other people uh, get their books out in a non-traditional way. But then I become the middleman, so I don't know. That's true. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But that's a cool thing. Like you said, Seth Godin's done it and other authors have done this kind of Kickstarter route. Is like, I love this time that we live in as writers. There is really no fixed route anymore. It used to be there was one way to do with, do things. Now we're just kind of figuring things out as we go along, and that means anything is game. Yeah, so I, I love that. I mean, you I know, do. it's just an empowering time to be in. Yeah, I mean, blogging in general is is yeah. part of that. You know, you can they say there's a printing press in every house now. You can you can just start publishing your stuff, which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, 20 years ago that was just un, unthinkable. So well, I mean, the question is, will anyone listen? Yeah, so. right. Right. And, and yeah, and the audience decides if really there that's that's what decides if if you're good enough is just if you are good enough. You know, there's not one person who right. says I mean and these these ideas have been said a thousand times. So Yeah. Um cool. All right. So I want to jump into some of these of uh, just sort of I don't know, content related questions. Not about the book, but I'm sure some of this stuff will be in the book. Uh sure. and other things that I'm just curious about, and I'm sure readers and listeners will be too. Um so you you've told me that this book is more not just about forming habits, but kind of about creating change. And yeah and dealing with change too and a lot of the obstacles and difficulty that comes with that so i know 
your I've heard some of your story about transitioning to vegetarian and now vegan. Uh, but I know at one point, like you were vegetarian, you were vegan. Your wife was still vegetarian, I think. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm just wondering because that's that issue comes up all the time. People say, "How do I do this when my spouse is not on board?" Uh, yeah. And plus, you have six kids, six, right? Right. Yeah. And some of them, at least I know, are. I mean, I remember you talking about chicken tenders that were vegan for them. <laughs> so I don't know how many of them are vegetarian, or vegan. But I'm just wondering, like, how did that transition all happen uh, as a family? Like, and then how did it? You know, how did you manage the dynamic of one or several people being eating one way and everyone else not doing that? How'd that all work? Right. Um, yeah, so it's it's a messy process, obviously. <laughs> and yeah, this is such a common question that I had to address in a really long chapter in my book with all these practical tips. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it'd be great if we could just make the change and then, you know, everyone else would be on board or, you know, that would, that would be the end of the story. But the changes that we make obviously affect all the other people in our lives. So for me, for you know, going to the vegetarian example, I decided to go vegetarian because I just basically, my diet was crap and I needed more vegetables in my life. Uh, so that's what I did. But I asked, you know, I told my wife, I'm thinking about doing this. And she's like, okay, you can do it, but I'm, there's no way I'm doing it. And I'm like, okay, well, as long as you're okay with me doing it, I'll cook my own meals. And so she and the kids would cook their meals and I would cook mine. And I was lucky enough that she didn't like actively resist, right. but I, you know, one of the things that I did to, to overcome that possibility was I would talk to her all along the way and get her involved in the decision-making. Even if she wasn't on board, I wanted to show her um, why I was doing it. And so she didn't, it wasn't just like springing something on her and saying, you have to deal with this. Right. So she was, you know, cause we all go through this internal change process and, and then we come to a decision and overcome the resistance in our own minds. And we say, now you have to, be on board with it when they haven't gone through the same process. So I, I tried to involve her in the process and the same thing with the kids, tell them why I'm doing it and show them what I'm going through and what the benefits are. Um, but yeah, so she eventually decided, well, that tastes, that looks like it looks pretty good. And she would try my food and then she would, uh, um, eventually she decided, well, maybe I'll cut out some red meat and see what that does. You know, and you know, that process of cutting out one kind of meat at a time. Mm -hmm. So she did that and she became vegetarian uh, actually, she came vegetarian when we moved out of San Francisco from Guam. Okay. We went to um, Gracias Madre, mm -hmm. uh, which you, you've been to. Yes. Um, and she's like, oh, this is so good. She's like, you know what? I could eat this every day and I wouldn't miss meat. And so she, when you taste food that good, right, um, right. like, you, you know, that's even if it was home cooked, if you taste something that's really good, you're like, if I ate this every day, I would never miss meat. She came to that realization. And so she's, she just went vegetarian from then on. Um and we went vegan. I, I kind of went back and forth between vegan and vegetarian. And we went vegan in uh, 2012. The together, we made that decision while we were traveling one time. Okay. And uh, we never looked back. It's been great. Uh, so it's been, yeah, kind of like we inspire each other's change. And with the kids, sometimes I challenge them to try it for a little while. And then if they didn't like it, then they don't have to stick to it. But some of the kids decided, oh, I really like that. You know, I, they did it for a month and they actually want to stick with it. So we have three... Our three younger kids are all vegetarian. The oh, older okay. ones are a little more stubborn. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so challenges, I mean, challenging the kids to something, a lot of times they want to step up to a challenge. And again, with a limited experiment so they can get out of it at any time, it doesn't seem like a permanent change. Um, that's been another really big one for us. And then just, I, I'm a big fan of the idea that you can't impose your will on the rest of the world. You have to kind of lead by example and maybe influence 
And influence is a lot more, lot sloppier than having than being able to say, you do this, this, and this, and that's the end of it. It's more like I'm going to do this and see how that influences you, and maybe it does, and maybe it doesn't. But if you can share your journey and share how great it is and share that it's not so hard, um, a lot of times people will at least start to consider it and start to put themselves in your shoes and maybe say, well, if he's doing it, maybe I could do it. So that's that's been my process, and it's a lot sloppier than uh, maybe <laughs> I make it sound sometimes. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. It's it's so much, I think, better to be an example than, than to try to be telling someone that they should do something. And you have, really good, you have a good post about this that was called, I think it was like the theory of quiet influence or the quiet theory of influence or something. Uh, I can certainly link that one up, but that's that's a good one about these sorts of ideas, um, much much more general than just diet or something like that. Sure. Um, okay, so how about simplicity? I, I don't think I've asked you this before. I know a lot of your story, and you have a great story, of course, that, that you were overweight and smoking and lots of debt and, and then learned how to make one simple change and then from there – you know, and I guess even in that process of doing that one change, did a tremendous amount of research in, into how habits are changed and formed and things like that. Um, right. But you're also a simplicity author. People know you as a simplicity author. I think you call yourself that. And yeah. that's not exactly the same as habit change. I mean, I think the habits yeah. that you've happened to do are are tend tend to go towards simplicity. But sure. but how did that come about in the process? Like after the habit change started, like where did simplicity come from for you? And yeah. uh, and just and then after that, I'd like, I'd like to hear what what do you think for, for people? Because I've written a post about this recently, and we talked about it on the podcast. Just for people who like, if they look at someone who is sort of minimalist, and they think that's just ridiculous that they don't have TV, or that's impossible to do. Like, how does right. someone start just living a little bit more simply? So, right first, how how it happened for you, and then then more what people can do. So. Um... I was inspired by another writer, um, and I think she might have written in the 90s um, on simplicity, and her name was Elaine St. James, and she wrote several very small, very practical, each page was like a practical tip on how to simplify your life. Um, and she's not writing anymore, I don't think, but she was inspired by other writers on you know uh, a book called Voluntary Simplicity before that. It's always been this kind of fringe movement um, going back to Thoreau and even before that um, so yeah I mean it's always been a group of people who like just decided you know what this kind of you know whether it's American dream or Western dream of having more and more is not for me um, and you know I've it, things are getting too overwhelming for me and I just need to to simplify a little bit that's what I I it turned out when I read her book I was craving that uh, and I'm like, wow, the, the, the picture she paints of a simple life sounded so appealing to me. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll try that. So I started trying little things one at a time. Um, I still remember even like some of her recipes, things like that. Mm -hmm. So and then I, um, I tried to, again, the same thing with, with Eva trying to influence her to maybe try some of that, too. And she uh, was on board with that pretty quickly. So we decluttered a lot of stuff. We would have a whole weekend where we would like get rid of boxes and boxes of stuff in our house and it turned out we've been cluttering our lives one little thing at a time until it just became so much that you can't possibly like take a bite out of it um at all at once so you have to yeah you have to go into small little bites um a little at a time and then when you get inspired and you do these big changes so I, that's what i recommend to other people is um you know th yeah if you're inspired go ahead and do a whole bunch at once but but if you're overwhelmed and you don't know where to start, 
just pick one small little surface and declutter that, even if it's just like this one little space on your desk or your kitchen counter. Um, there was this other writer, uh, I don't know if they're still around, but her name was Fly Lady. And uh, this was back in like 2005, 2006 when I was reading her. She basically said, uh, do your kitchen sink first. And she, you just like clear the dishes out of that sink and then scrub it until it was like sparkling. Uh -huh. I love that image. And it was like, that was a doable thing. And so that's what I say is find a doable thing like that. And she's like, then keep that clean, keep it sparkling no matter what happens. And so you're like motivated to keep that little zone clean and then maybe clear another space on your kitchen counter until your entire counter and your entire kitchen eventually is all clean. So you start to expand this zone of clutter-free like simplicity mm -hmm. until it covers your entire life. But you know, don't, don't worry about the entire life for now. Just do your kitchen sink. Right. And it goes far beyond actual physical clutter. I mean, into your habits and I mean, your diet choice is, is one of simplicity, I think. And right. a lot of things. Yeah. So it goes, goes so far beyond that. Um, physical clutter, sorry to interrupt. No, no, you. go ahead. But physical clutter is, is more of a, it's an easily seen visual manifestation of the same things that clutter the rest of our lives. Okay. Um, but yeah, there, you know, a piece of paper here represents something that you have to do, a, a claim on your time, something that you're putting off. That's the same thing um, when it comes to our schedule and all our commitments and all our work and everything like that. So we can simplify everything using the same, pretty much the same process. Great. And would you say that you have, that your life has sort of been a constant march toward more and more simplicity or, or have you come back a little bit? Like, you know, a lot of times the tendency is to get really extreme and then sort of come back and be a little more reasonable and say, okay, well, I, that was fine, but that far is not for me. Because I remember, I think you used to, I've heard you talk in the past about how you were, you know, wouldn't even check blog stats and just yeah. a bunch of things that, that ridiculous things. Like yeah. That. I mean, like, are you, do you maintain like every change like that you make or a lot of them just sort of little experiments and then you end up saying, well, that was, that was fun, but not for me. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as the blogger who blogs about your own changes, like these are all experiments and we blog about it cause they're, they're great, but then we don't always stick to them. So yeah, yeah it's definitely a messier thing in my life than, <clears throat> than I make it seem probably. And that's not on purpose. That's just the nature of blogging, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I've I've made lots of changes that I you know don't stick to. Um, I I have gone to like extreme minimalism, um, you know, getting down to like fifty things, mm -hmm. and I, I definitely have more than that now. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, it's it's more for me. It's more of an experiment to see what that's like, and also it's an experiment in um, living consciously. That's a lot what what minimalism and simplicity are about. It's just like taking making conscious choices in your life. So now I think what I've created is more of a habit of every once in a while stepping back and taking a conscious look at my life and what I'm doing and what's in it. Um, and that's really the main habit that, that stuck with me. I also like to have a simplified space. Um, you know, clutter creeps up now and then, but I notice that and I'm like, okay, well, it's time to declutter again. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's just kind of an ongoing process, and it's always going to be that way. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think one thing I've noticed about change, and this I, I haven't really seen this elsewhere, but for me, it has been the process that works. Is that I do an experiment that's rather extreme, and then realize I'm not ready to do that. Like this is how I went vegetarian, and how I went vegan, and then tried it with this fruitarian diet, and like so, like fully dive into it for 30 days and have an end limit, and then realize I'm not really close to being able to do that yet. But then over <laughs> the next three or six months, I find myself approaching that ideal again, just very, very slowly, even without really trying. Like it's, it's, I don't know, which, which sounds somewhat like what you said, you know, you, you just, you do the experiment 
and then you sort of slide back but then you know then i don't know you're kind of more aware of your of your whole life and, and things and you just sort of approach what what you were trying to get to before right and yeah sometimes it's like you're kind of pushing against the boundaries of what you thought you were you were capable of mm-hmm. and you might like find that you know this time it's not you're not ready for that but you did push against that and you can always um explore that a little more gently later right. so are you fruitarian now no, I'm not. I, I was okay. trying it, and I loved how I felt on it. Uh, I really felt a lot of energy and just, like, mentally, I don't know, just excited about tons of things. Um, but I, I was losing too much weight on it. So I just, yeah. I don't know, which is not to say that the diet doesn't work. I, it could have been right. that I wasn't eating enough or, or doing it correctly. But uh, I don't know. And, and the, a lot of people who do it are really thin. Like, Mike Arnstein is, is a, an elite ultramarathoner. So when he races at 117 pounds, that's fantastic that he's 117 pounds because that's what he does. But, you know, I'm not that. So I, I didn't want to be walking around at 117 pounds, <laughs> which I didn't get that low. But um, yeah, yeah. anyway, so not yet. But I, I loved it. And, and I'm, I'm happy to have tried it. And I, I like it a lot. So. All right. So I want a, uh, an update on your goal situation. I know I've talked to you about goals a lot. And you are, in my world, famous for having no goals and being an advocate <laughs> of no goals. But you've, been, you've always called that an experiment, that, right. that you don't know if it works. And you don't, you're not really advocating it as much as saying like this is what you're testing out now so right. I, it's been probably a year since we've really talked about anything seriously um i'm just wondering what, like what's your perspective on that now yeah so i think i learned a lot from that experiment um i don't think i have zero goals now but i do think that i am less attached to them and less i i, I believe less in them than i used to uh so like you know you could say well how did you write a book without a goal well yeah so i had a, a goal to write this book this new book, right? And that's, you could say that's a goal, but when I wake up every day, I'm not motivated by this goal that's like, you know, six months down the road. That's, that's not motivating. What I'm motivated by is like, if I get up today, am I going to help somebody? You know, is this going to be something that I enjoy doing? Is there meaning to this activity? Um, and so that to me is way more motivating than this thing that's six months later. Cause you, you know, as you know, maybe, I don't know if you've done gone through weight loss, um, you, you did, right? A weight loss journey? No, I've, I've gone on weight gain journeys, but I, okay. I've never had to do a weight loss journey. So people who've gone through weight loss like I have, like, you know, the idea of being, you know, as slim as, and as beautiful as Matt is, right. um, you know, I mean, that's great, but it's not going to get you out running that day and it's not going to stop you from eating that ice cream today, you know? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a great idea, but when it comes down, when the rubber meets the road, you need a real reason to keep going. And um, I found that goals are not that. They're, mo- they're more maybe to provide a, a general direction to go in. Um, but even that, like if you're fixated on that one direction, you have to end up in that one de- destination. I think that's a mistake because what if you need to adjust as you go along? What if the terrain isn't what you thought it was a- along the way? What if there's a new opportunity that opens up that's even better? Are you going to stay fixated on that first goal? So what I've, I've learned is to kind of dispel the myths in my own mind about goals, because I used to hold them up really high um, and, and think that they were everything. Dispel all those myths and to hold less tightly to them, to be less attached to them. Okay. That said, uh, they, they still come up for me. Uh, I right. think goals are just a human nature kind of thing. We're very, yeah, uh, of course. it's just our culture, I don't know. But it's definitely something that comes up, and I have to like you know, examine this is something that I really want to fixate on you know because it's just like this fantasy now like oh i want to run an ultra marathon which is you know a great thing to do 
but it's just to me it just popped into my head one day like i need to run an ultra marathon it's going to be great my i'm going to be you know so fit and my you know i'm going to feel so like badass <laughs> right. and the you know the reality of the ultra marathon was not what i had imagined um i still did it i'm really glad that i did and i i would encourage anyone else who wants to do it to do it but it definitely there was this fantasy that popped up and the reality was not that um and so that's actually what the book is a lot about is is these these fantasies that we have and the reality and readjusting to the reality that's in front of us. And that's what goals are for me is like some kind of fantasy that I need to um, right. adjust to reality. Gotcha. All right. So I want, to, I want you to go into the ultra marathon thing because I actually wanted to ask about that and kind of the transition from smoker to runner to marathoner to ultra marathoner. But <laughs> I think this is more interesting, what you just said, that, that it yeah. wasn't what you thought it would be because I think a lot of people – uh, who read No Meat Athlete and who listen to our podcast are probably in that position where they've run a half marathon or a marathon uh, and are thinking about an ultra. Or if they're you know just a 5K runner and thinking about a marathon, like that's their big goal that they're upholding. Um, what, so what do you mean when you said that, that it was not what you expected? Well, I knew it was going to be hard. I've read your accounts um, of like of your 100, um, 100 miler, right. even the training up to it. And I knew there was struggle that was going to be involved. But struggle, when you read about it, that's one thing in your mind. And struggle, when you go through it, is completely different animal. I mean, they're not even related. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's it's completely different. So I, in my mind, I thought, well, I'm going to face a struggle. But just like Matt, I'll overcome it. And that's going to feel amazing, right? And so I had this idea of running all these miles and how fit I was going to have to be to get there and all the training I was going to do and how accomplished I was going to feel at the end. This is all like this mental image of it. And then when you start doing the training, you know, you know, the first part of the training is great. And then when the training gets really hard and there will be days when you don't feel like getting out there and then you get out there and sometimes you just want to like stop for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I, I definitely was out of marathon training for a while, so I was not in great uh, running shape for that distance. Um, so it was more of a struggle for me than it probably is for, for people like you who've done these things over the years. Um, and so, yeah, I, there were times when I wanted to quit and it was not what I had imagined. And when I did the race itself, um, I got up really excited and I started going through it and the first 30 miles were great. Um, and then after that, I started having these toe issues of my, my toe jamming into my, uh, right foot, uh, right front of my right uh, shoe. And it was really painful after 30 miles. Um, and going downhill was just not, it was torture. <laughs> mm -hmm. That was not in the uh, fantasy at all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so, like, I, I tried taping it up. I tried, you know, I love now, I, I love going back uphill, although I was cramping up at that time. Um, but I hated going downhill. And so every downhill was just, like, agony. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to quit. And... You know, it weren't for Scott running with me and saying, no, you're not going to quit, keep going. Um, I probably would have just quit and said, you know, I'm done for today. Because mm -hmm. what's stopping you, right? When that when you come up against that, sure. like, feeling of wanting to quit. And it's good to have, you know, someone with you. Or like like you said, you had all these readers who were, you know, you didn't want to, you know, all these people who had supported you, your right. family. Um, you didn't want to just let them down. So you had something to stop you from just saying, I'm, I'm done for today. Yep. But there, it gets to that point where you're like, this is not what I signed up for, you know? This is not the fantasy. <laughs> right. And uh, that's a tough time. I mean, that's, you, you feel like you're failing yourself at that time because you thought you could do it and, and you don't really feel like you can now. But you did. I did. 
Yeah. I did. I made it through and it, and it felt amazing, just like I had imagined. <laughs> um, but there were definitely, I, I definitely was weaker than I thought I would be. Uh huh. Yeah. I wanted to quit. Um, and I think there, we all have that in us, and there's a little bit of a disappointment in ourselves from wanting to like just get out of it even if it's not an ultra marathon even if it's just like i'm gonna stick to this diet and then like you know the, the ice cream's in front of you and you're like dang right. it i just want to eat that ice cream yeah you know like, right. i'm gonna let myself off the hook right now yeah so letting yourself off the hook like we think we're not going to and then there's a time when in our minds we allow ourselves to whether we do it or not that's different but in our minds we just say well, I'm, I'm just gonna do it and um I think that's disappointing to ourselves, I think, because we have this fantasy that we're not going to. Right, right. Yeah, it's, I mean, because that, like, that description of, of an ultramarathon, um, I think a lot of ultrarunners have, have a story like that, where they, you know, they had a horrible, awful race. And I think maybe it's just the type of person for whom ultrarunning is a good fit. Like, they, right. that's why they do it, like, to, to have an experience that is that miserable and make it through it and then look <laughs> back and know that they did, you know, and, and yeah. see what they were capable of enduring. Uh, so it's interesting that that to you that that was not uh, you know that that wasn't the reason for doing it. That you didn't want that much pain, and then to look back and say I did that. I wanted the struggle. I wanted to overcome it, but it wasn't. I had imagined a different thing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you certainly don't have to be in shape. I mean, I, I know I had the same thing when I thought about running a hundred miler. I was like, you know, I'll just be the fittest guy ever. But <laughs> like, there's a, ultra running is a, is a fun sport. I mean, interesting sport, and in that you if you're trying to win for sure, and like you're competitive, yeah, yeah. You, you've got to be in great shape for. But you know, you can do an ultra marathon without really being in good shape. There are ways to get it done and, and get the training done, you know, without really improving your fitness all that much. You just get skilled at running a long way, which is right. somewhat different. And I mean, certainly there are some fitness gains to be had when you do that. But, uh, you know, not the same as I don't think training and to run your best possible 10K ever. I think I think that would perhaps right. bring you a higher level of fitness uh, in, in less time. Too. <laughs> I also had a... a mistake that I made in the middle of it. I, I went on a trip in the middle, right when I was supposed to be peaking for my, in my plan, my mileage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically I took a dip right when I was supposed to peak and I came back and I'm like, well, should I still go or not? And I decided to keep doing it, but I had never really, my plan didn't go as, you know, I mean, plans never really go as you plan, but, uh, um, I feel like I, I would have had a, a little bit of an easier time if it, if I had, uh, followed the plan a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, again, I hadn't run a marathon in probably five years. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I hadn't run done anything really. Maybe a half marathon here and there, but um, not very often. Right. So yeah, I was I was definitely out of running shape, and I didn't follow a plan, and so or the plan. So it was harder than it had to be. <laughs> gotcha. So I wouldn't recommend that, but I <laughs> I do recommend an ultra for anyone who who has that aspiration. I think it's it's doable and you should try it. Yep. I would agree with that. All right, cool. Well, I, I appreciate that. It, I mean, it's good to hear about, uh, and this is where my last question is going to, but like, you know, I think as you said, the, the blogging, what, what you put out in the blogging world is often not exactly the same as real life because it's not, it's not always interesting to hear about the day in day out and the stuff that's, that's not going so well and isn't perfect now and then it's interesting, but I think, you know, you want to, as much as you want to be real and transparent and authentic, you want, you know, you also want to, look good you know and like do things and have things work out um so i think i you know i think of you and everyone else thinks of you as just a master of habit change and i think you are i don't doubt that but um i just wonder like do you still struggle with with changes and and if so what's what's one that you haven't really yet been able to change something that you just wish you could change and haven't yet done it 
Yeah, man, I, I, I definitely struggle with changes like all the time. And I don't follow my my own advice. Mm-hmm. That's one one of my main problems. Is like I'll say, oh yeah, you should do one habit change at a time, and then I'll do like two or three. Yep. Like I'm learning a new language. I'm starting a new <laughs> exercise plan. I'm, you know, trying something new. Anyway, so I. But a lot that. of that. I mean, to be fair, a lot of that advice advice is for someone who's starting out, right? And once you've done it a bunch, then then can't you do more? You can. I mean, it's it, it, you're decreasing your odds of success. Even the, even and, if someone like you who's, who's done it a lot. Yeah, doing more than one habit at once is a bad idea, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's doable. I right. mean, anything is doable, right? Sure. Um, but the, the thing is, do you want like high odds of success or do you want low odds? And so I, I say always raise your odds. And I don't do that a lot of times because mm-hmm. I think, just like you said, you know, I'm a ma- I'm habit master. I can do this. <laughs> and then I don't. And I'm like, oh, crap. I'm still, you know, <laughs> I'm right. still not, I haven't learned anything. Um, so yeah, I, I mess up all the time. Um, another one, another thing is again thinking I'm so great at, at habits causes me to not fully commit myself to the habit, not take it as seriously because I'm thinking, well, this is going to be easy, mm-hmm. and then it's it's there's always a point when it's not as easy as I imagined, and I mess up because I haven't really given it the full commitment. When I quit smoking, for example, uh, the first one, I gave myself this is like this is all I was in commit myself to I promised my wife I promised my daughter I had a support partner I went online uh, with this online smoking cessation group and I made a pledge I had all these different consequences I was tracking it I had all these different things I mean it was like this whole system right right but th- what that meant was in my mind this is something that be taken really seriously um, and it, I think if, if you go into a change with o- only half committed and not really taking it seriously, when that time comes and you don't really want to stick to it, you're not going to stick to it. Mm-hmm. So I make this mistake all the time. Is I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be great at it. You know, I'm serious about it, but I'm not really. And then I don't stick to it. So I went through this year. You asked which ones have I had a hard time with. I went through a year of living without right. where each month I would give up a new thing. And there were um, ones that I definitely struggled with more than others. Um, one was uh, giving up flavor in foods. I remember that one. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to try all those things you did, except for that one. I was like, I don't know why he's even trying that. <laughs> so basically, I was like removing all food reward, all variety. Just eating flavorless, three flavorless foods, and that would it, be it. And just one of those at a time. So what, like, what were they? Flavorless potatoes, flavorless seitan, no, no salt or anything added, <laughs> um, and flavorless uh, broccoli, which I actually love. Broccoli's got a little bit of sweet flavor once you start to love it. Uh-huh. But um, so that was a little cheat, maybe. But there are times when I'd be with other people and I'm like, ah, oh, I just gotta, I gotta eat this. And so I, I violated it. And I felt horrible about it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really fully committed. I think that was a problem. I had no. You need something to like keep you on the track when you're you're starting to derail right so like just imagine if you said i'm you know i'm not going to eat uh, whatever for 30 days or i'm going to pay ten thousand dollars publicly right mm-hmm. you'd be like you know i'm sticking to this no matter what yeah you know or if you know if, if there was a gun to your loved one's head i mean of course that's a bad example but let's say there were like you're not gonna fail right right and so the problem isn't that you can't do it. The problem is that you don't have that gun to your head or so, to someone else's head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you need to do is have this metaphorical gun to your head. Um, 
you know, and, and so you need to figure out what is the level of commitment that's going to stop you from, from getting off the tracks when things get hard. And for you, it was having this network of support that was there doing this for you. And you're like, I'm not failing them. There's no way. Right. Right. And so when, when that, when that push came to shove, you had that thing that was stopping you. But if they weren't there, you might have just walked home and said, I'm done. Yeah, definitely. You know? So, yeah, you need to have that. Um, so I, I, I forget that all the time to answer gotcha. your question. Good. <laughs> yeah. And, and to clarify, you said a metaphorical gun to your head. But, like, that, as, as much as it's not a real gun to your head, it still is something in the real world. Like, there is a some force or actual thing that you've set up, like a, whether it's a deal with a friend or something. Right. But not, not just, like, in your mind creating a gun to your head that says, I'm not going to quit. Right, like, right. Not like a, I really want to do this, but actually having something in the outside world that that is keeping you on the on the track, like you said, some kind of major consequence for your failure. Right, um, and it, it's, some people say, "Oh, that's the stick compared to the carrot," but no, it's to me, it's not. You don't actually want to get hit by that stick. <laughs> you, <laughs> right. you just want the stick over there, like just remember that it's there. You right. Know? right. Um, so I, I don't. I believe in carrots more than sticks. I think you should feel good about the change. It should be enjoyable. This shouldn't be torture. But at the same time. When things get hard, you need you need to have that threat there um, that you set up for yourself, and that, you know I mean this is not something that someone else is holding over you. You have to just yours is your your good intention self starting out in the beginning, saying future self, I know you're gonna have a trouble, so I'm gonna I'm gonna set things up an environment where you're gonna actually stick to it. So this is just kind of smart way of setting up your habit change environment. All right, great. You know, the, uh, the Nomad Athlete logo was actually going to be a running stick, and then I, I didn't like that negative <laughs> attitude, so I changed it to a carrot to be more positive. Carrots are way better Fun than fact. sticks. They taste way better. That's, that's definitely true. Yep. <laughs> Not as much fiber, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, and less painful, I should say. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, cool. Leo, this has been fun. Um, the details for the, for the book, just so people can get it who want to, zenhobbitsbook.com is where all the stuff is now, and there's even some like right. sample content on there. Yeah. Uh, is that where the Kickstarter thing is going to exist when it does exist in two hours or so from now? Or would that be actually yeah. at Kickstarter? You, if you go to the front page of ZenHabitsBook.com, there will be a, a link to Kickstarter. Um, I'm also creating a short URL, uh, ZenHabits.net, which is my main site, of course. ZenHabits.net slash fund, F-U-N-D. Okay. The D at the end, not just fun. Maybe I should put both of them. But they, <laughs> that will redirect to the Kickstarter campaign. So um, in... Yeah, a little after we're, we're done talking here. I'm going to set that up. But um, yeah, the zenhabitsbook.com. And I'm going to put a bunch of other stuff on there. If people fund above a certain level, I'll record some like videos of what I eat and my workouts. And, cool. you know, um, and then I'm also going to put some bonus guides on there. Uh, so there's going to be a bonus guide to um, procrastination. Not, not how to procrastinate, but how to not procrastinate. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and being effective. And then another one on mindfulness. And I just came up with the idea before I was showering for this interview. I'm also going to do a manifesto for creating a chain, a movement of change, um, and how to do that, how to actually a practical neat, manifesto. Neat. So cool. uh, that's all going to be on the site uh, if you find it at a certain level. Awesome. And and does all that does the Kickstarter thing end at a certain? I mean, they all end. But when when's the deadline for it? Uh, I think it'll be December seventeenth at noon Pacific. Okay, so about a month to get in there and do it. Yeah, thirty day campaign. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much, Leo. Uh, fun as always, and, and interesting to talk to you. With, I love all these topics; they're fantastic, and uh, you're you're an inspiration to me, and I think to to obviously tens or hundreds of thousands of others. So uh, keep it up, and, and thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It's it's an honor to be here, and I want to say um, 
Matt, I think you're doing an amazing job, and uh, you've created a movement of people making changes, and I love that. And I, I hope you keep doing that work for years to come. Thank you. I appreciate that, Leo. Thanks a lot. All right. Good luck with the book, and I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Bye, Leo.